Support for the For the Culture podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With this exclusive offer just for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with promo code CULTURE at manscaped.com. That's promo code CULTURE, C-O-L-T-U-R-E at manscaped.com. I just got the 4.0. I was one of the first people to use it. I absolutely love it. I feel like a whole new man. And if Frank Reich has the balls to go for it on fourth down, the least you could do is shave yours. And you could do it now with the 4.0 from Manscaped. Use promo code CULTURE for 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. That's promo code CULTURE, C-O-L-T-U-R-E at manscaped.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, and joining me today on the show, we have the Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, as he's heading into year four, had a jam-packed offseason, a lot to get to with Coach, had him on last year. Can't wait to run it back and do it again today. So, Coach, welcome back to the For the Culture Podcast. We really appreciate the time. Well, I appreciate you having me, Luke. Uh, Good to be back. Awesome. So it's been a crazy offseason, right? Let's start off in the beginning. You're getting head coaching interviews. We don't know if you're going to be back, if you're going to go elsewhere, become a head coach in the National Football League. A lot of your players came out and they had some incredible things to say about you. So what's that whole experience like for you going into an offseason, not knowing if you're going to return, not knowing if you're going to get a head coaching job? And then what was it like to hear those things? Some players that you coached here for three years and you're the only defensive coordinator they've ever known. So what was that whole experience like for you this offseason going through the process of interviewing for head coaching jobs and then ultimately coming back to Indianapolis for year four as the defensive coordinator? Yeah, I'm a firm believer where, you know, you are where you're supposed to be. So when, you know, the news came that I was coming back and the players were, they were so appreciative that I was coming back. And also just, you know, they were also supportive, you know, with uh, going through the process too. So it was great to hear from those guys. You know, they were really just awesome all the way through. So I'm excited to be back and uh, and sure we're having a, a great time here during the, the spring. We just guys just got let go, you know, to the, for their summer break. So. We're excited for him. I'll be texting him through the summer, and uh, we're just excited about this year for sure. Very exciting. And then after you find out you're coming back and you start to look around, one of the major changes right off the bat defensively is you lose Rich Gannon. He becomes the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia with Nick Sirianni, so you guys go out and hire James Rowe. What was that process like? Were you at all involved in the hiring process or the recruiting process of Rowe? Because I know at that time you're still involved in your head coaching interviews, so you're kind of one foot in, one foot out at the moment. What went into that whole process, and what did you see in a guy or now see in a guy like James Rowe coming in as the cornerbacks coach? Yeah, so James, you know, we interviewed several guys, and which we always do, you know, and, and obviously Frank's a, a big part of that, and as well as the defensive staff, and then, you know, Chris Ballard's a part of that too. So, you know, we vetted a bunch of guys, and, and we've heard great things about James, and he had a great interview, and we decided to go with him. And, and he's been just, you know, fits really well with our staff, um, you know, really well with our secondary coaches, Alan Williams and David Overstreet. And, uh, you know, and obviously good with me. So he's, 
he's been uh, really good with new ideas, um, you know, bringing in uh, a new uh, approach uh, to coaching corners. Um, you know, so he's uh, um, learning our system and he's, he's doing a good job. Then he, he chomping at the bit really to get the guys full speed, you know, cause we didn't get a chance to get that this spring. So he's excited about that. And he's, uh, you know, working with him and, you know, Kenny and, and Zave and all the guys that are back there, TJ and, and uh, Marvell and, and uh, all the guys back there rock. And so he's excited about working with those guys hands-on and uh, he's a, He's a, a good fundamental football coach, and that's what we're, we're excited about. When you get a new coach like James Rowe or whenever a coach is added to your staff, do you find yourself coaching them in the beginning on how to coach in your system? Obviously, different guys bring different things to the table, and I'm sure it works both ways. You know, They bring things to the table that you might adapt as well, but do you find yourself coaching an incoming coach despite their level of experience somewhere else? Yeah, I think there's a delicate balance there because you bring a new guy in so he can share his ideas with you um, as a coordinator and as a as a football team because you you do you don't want to shut that off. Say, hey, this is the only way we're going to do it, and this is how we do it here, uh, because I think you lose part of the process, you know, and, and lose some good things there. So we we try to have a delicate balance there, and obviously we have a way we want to coach and the way we want to do things, big picture, you know, in terms of how we play, you know, with our hits principle. So, you know, obviously we're teaching him those things and then we're very detail oriented. We teach guys how to tackle. We teach guys, you know, how to take on blocks. We teach guys how to force. We teach them from A to Z exactly how we, we like it to be done. But he certainly has brought some good, fresh ideas here as well. When you add a new coach to the staff, how long does it take them to get acclimated where you feel comfortable and vice versa? And is it at all comparable to a player? If you were to bring in a veteran in free agency or making a trade or even drafting a rookie, depending on the level of experience of the coach, how long does it take for you to go into a season comfortable with a coach opposed to maybe a veteran player that you're plugging into your system? Yeah, I, I think it's all encompassing. You know, I think a new coach or a new player, it just takes time. You know, it takes time to be able to uh, incorporate those guys into the system. Um, and again, it, when you have a high capacity like James Rowe does or, you know, you know, like our defensive ends that we brought in, those guys have high capacity to chunk information um, and, and, and then get it out to on the field to execute. Those guys are just remarkable that way. So we're, we're certainly excited about the functional intelligence that uh, all three of those guys have that we've brought to the table so far in additions to our defensive unit. We're talking to the Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, here on the For the Culture podcast. We don't make big changes in the secondary at the corner spots. We had depth with the safeties, but we don't really add anything to the corner spot. You get back Marvell Tell, who opted out last year with COVID. Then we re-sign Xavier Rhodes. We re-sign TJ Carey. What do those two guys mean to this defense, bringing them back, having their veteran presence, their experience, and just two guys who were a big part of this defense last year now coming back this year to a position group that you're pretty much running it back with this season. Yeah, so so Zave is obviously a, a great addition for us last year, and he's gonna he's gonna do awesome this year too. You know, he's uh, got great experience. Uh, he's he, you know obviously an awesome coverage guy, and he's excited about getting the year two in, under his belt here because he knows that now he knows exactly what to do with our schemes and and our defense and how to how we play it. And, uh, you know, his experience with the other corners is, is really helpful, um, as is TJ's. You know, TJ brings a, a moxie to the group. Um, he's obviously a, a guy that's, uh, you know, really uh, proficient at taking the football away. 
And he's also really good at playing multiple spots, you know, so he can play the inside nickel spot. He can play the outside, outside corner spot. He can play a different dime spots for us. So he's a very, very valuable asset to us. And we're excited to have both those guys back, but, you know, not just their play, but also their experience and their maturity in terms of um, our overall defense, but more importantly, in that secondary group. Um, so we're, we're, uh, we're pleased to have those guys back for sure. Last season, we saw Rock struggle again. He had a lot of the same issues. He had his rookie season again in his sophomore season. You hear the term sophomore slump thrown around as he now heads into year three. Consistency's been the biggest issue. So what does Rock need to work on and do in year three to be more consistent? Because the big plays are there. We've seen Rock play really, really well. You think back to last year against the Packers, he jumps a route against the MVP and he picks off Aaron Rodgers. So we know he has the ability. We've seen it in flashes but what does Rock need to do now going into year three to be a more consistent cornerback? Yeah, so so Rock, first of all, what he what we know from Rock is he's gonna compete. He's gonna compete and he's gonna he's gonna work his tail off. We know that in practice. So there's yours, there's not another guy that's gonna work harder than Rock Yasin. So we know he's gonna do that. And I think that where his growth is coming, and we can already see it, is his patience. He's he's being more patient. He's learned when to play with a with a motor that's uh, you know appropriate for the down, and I think that he's learning that as as he goes. And I think having Zave um, in there and TJ that experience in there with with him, I think helps him immensely. And uh, he's gonna he's gonna do big things for us. And we still believe in Rocky Sin, and we're excited about where he is. And again, let's gotta let the training camp play out and see where it goes. Sticking in the secondary and sticking with. Second-year players going into year three. Corey Willis had a great second season in your defense. He was good his first year. He was a good rookie. He had a nice jump last year in his second season, and I believe he's become one of the most underrated players in this defense. Your first year here, I thought it was Kenny Moore. Then he started to get the credit he deserves. Your second year, I thought it was Grover Stewart. Then he started to get the credit he deserves. Last year, I thought it was Corey Willis. I thought he was great in this defense. Took a nice jump from year one to year two. Productive year one, even more productive year two. Big part of this defense. What did you see from year one to year two in Kari Willis? The improvement, the jump, and how important is he to what you guys do defensively? Yeah, so Kari comes out of the blocks his rookie season and makes just a big impact for us. He, he played multiple positions for us, played the dime spot on third down. Uh, he played the free safety position, um, played some strong safety too. And he, we were just so excited about him as, as a person, as a man, and as a player, um, and what he brings to our to our team. And then year two comes around, and man, he just he understood it better in terms of the schemes and what he wanted to do and how he fits in to make plays. And that's really the biggest growth you can have uh, for a, a second year player is he he really can see where he fits in and where his plays are are to be made. And that's where Kari Willis took the big jump. Um, there's not a better football player on our football team that uh, drops into a low zone that can vision and break and strike somebody better than Kari Willis. So we're excited about where he is being that uh, low zone player sometimes. And he's improved a lot, you know, playing the you know deep half, deep quarter, deep middle of the field. Um, you know, the stuff we ask our safeties to do. And he's, he's really getting good at that as well. So again, he's, uh, He's a guy that's uh, on the rise, and we expect big things from him. And we're excited about where he is in terms of being paired up with Julian Blackman. You know, those two guys are two young players that um, are going to have a second year together. I think that continuity um, is something that's really going to pay dividends for our football team. 
How do you feel about the safety depth with the pair of Sean Davises brought in this offseason? The one Sean Davis, a veteran from the Pittsburgh Steelers. The other Sean Davis drafted out of Florida from the Florida Gators. So you have two guys, both named Sean Davis, playing the same position, which I think is pretty funny. And you add depth to a room that I thought needed depth because we talk about Kari and the impact he had last year in his second season. When he went down against the Steelers, that's when they went on that run. So the depth, I thought, was a big under-the-radar position of need at the safety spots. Ballard addresses it this offseason. How do you feel about both Sean Davis's and the safety depth provided this offseason by those two guys? Yeah, so you know the both uh, Sean Sean Davis and Sean Davis. I th- I think that you know we're just gonna let that play out, you know, because we don't. Again, these guys are new to our system. They've only been here for a few weeks, so we're gonna really have to accelerate that evaluation process during the training camp when it's full speed, and then you know, we'll see where they fit, and and that's a gonna be a big process for the the scouts and the coaches and everybody involved. So uh, we're looking forward to that process there. Then, you know, you got George Odom, you know, Georgie Odom's is a guy that's uh, all pro special teams player last yep. year. Um, he's played, uh, you know, he spotted, you know, he, he started in that Kansas city game a few years ago. So he's, he's had the ability to play uh, back there and, and we know he can do it. And that's basically where we are right now, you know, behind our two starters. And, you know, we got other guys that we could potentially move around there that, that are, that are uh, can certainly function back there, but those are their, our backups right now. We'll have to see, let's let it play out and see where it goes. You mentioned Julian Blackman, who was partners in crime back there with Kari Willis last year, a first and second year safety. It was a great tandem, and Julian had a fantastic rookie season. He was definitely a defensive rookie of the year candidate, making so many big plays, splash plays late in games. He was clutch. His clutch factor was up there with Darius and other guys on this team making game-changing plays late in games. I think of the pick against the Bengals. I think about the forced fumble in overtime against the Packers. What was that like to have another rookie, because you had in 2018 with Leonard, make so many plays and play like a veteran right out the gates their rookie season, especially in Julian's case, because he was coming off that torn ACL, so he didn't even have a proper summer on top of all the COVID stuff heading into the season, starting the season injured, and then coming out the gates and playing like a Pro Bowl caliber player as a rookie. Yeah, so so Julian, uh, first of all, has a great knack for the football, and he's got great instincts and feel for the deep part of the field. So, um, you know, that's what we really saw. And then, you know, leading up to him playing there, you got to give a lot of credit to Alan Williams. So Alan Williams spent a lot of time, as did, you know, Berganzi and myself with Darius Leonard, uh, when he first came out. So when you have a rookie like that come onto the scene, it's not it's it is player, no question, but it's coach and player, player and coach getting themselves ready to go during that rehab time. So when he finally became busted onto the scene, he came and he was ready to go because he knew what to do and he knew where he fits in. And that's a tribute to him and his coach. So, um, you know, then obviously his natural abilities that we we drafted him for in the first place, his ball hawking ability and also his natural instincts in the deep part of the field. So uh, those things all come into play. But again, it's a tribute to, to Julian being able to study like that and taking the information and then also be where he's supposed to be. And we can trust him. You know, because that's one of the big things. You know, we're always about putting guys in position as coaches. That was what we do for a living. But we got to make sure that we can also trust them. And that's really on the player to do his assignment and to get lined up correctly. And he proved to do that. And that's what you saw on the field.
And how big is trust really across the board? Because we all talk about it offensively and defensively with this team and special teams, just the whole roster. We talk about the locker room, and you see that video of the guys playing knockout and you bring out the basketball hoop. And it seems like the trust, the locker room, it's so strong, the culture, whatever you want to call it. You know, you talk about it with Julian Blackman, Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, just across the board, you feel like you could trust probably almost every guy in this locker room, right? Well, you know, we have this a saying here that trust is given. You know, we give trust. Trust. If you're part of our team and you've been vetted to be a Colt, we give you that trust, you know, because we understand that it's hard to get in this room. It's hard to be in this building. And, and we give it to you. And, and then we just you just have to uh, earn it every single day. You know, we would never want to let any teammate down. We never want to let a coach down, another player, another member of our staff, another member in the building, because that's what we do. We trust each other. And that's just the culture that we have. Yep. As we're talking to the Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus here on the For the Culture podcast. Coach, over the last couple of years, we saw Okariki play more and more of the mic from year one to year two. Now, as he goes into year three, we lose Anthony Walker Jr. He goes off to Cleveland, and now that role is going to be Bobby's full time. And we saw last year, as the year went on, he took more and more playing time away from Walker. As he goes into year three, Walker now departs and he goes off to Cleveland, and that role is Okariki's, what is going to be the most challenging part for Bobby to take on that role and be the full-time Mike in this defense? Yeah, so Bobby's done a really good job. His first year, you know, as a rookie, he, you know, obviously really played really well for us, and he really split time uh, at the Mike position. And then from there, last year, he actually played more because he actually split time with the Mike position, but also played on third down in our third down packages as the starting Mike. So he's he's a natural progression into being a, you know, a basically a halfway player to a three quarter player. And now he's playing, you know, 100 percent. I think the continuity with Darius Leonard, uh, those two together playing all the time together is really going to pay dividends for our football team uh, because they're going to get used to playing next to each other 100 percent of the time. We're excited about seeing that. And again, that's going to take time because it just has you got to have reps and experience together to do that. Yeah, and when you look at Okariki, he brings a lot of the same measurables and intangibles that Darius Leonard brings to the table. He has the wingspan, the length, the athleticism, and it's not a shot at Walker, but Walker was built a little bit differently than the way Okariki's built and the way Okariki plays. So now to get both those guys on the field, you're going to have a lot of length. You're going to have a lot of coverage just athletically between those two players and how important are those traits and those intangibles to playing the position yeah i mean so length for a linebacker is 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 a thing we look at because when you look at length for linebackers you know they always have offensive linemen jumping up to the second level in the run game so you have to be long to be able to separate from those guys and stay off of those guys so that's that's a big trait there and then also in the passing game the passing game you know it's a big deal to cover six inches here in the NFL. So we feel that at length can certainly help Bobby and Darius in there covering the middle of the field. And also where Darius, where he's over, always over the football. So, and then you put a guy in like, you know, uh, you know, uh, Zaire Franklin and, and EJ speed, both those guys got great length and they're both good players. So we'll see, we'll see where that goes in terms of them playing the Sam position and let that play out during training camp. And uh, but we're excited about where we are is athletically at the linebacker position, but also the length that they have uh, should be able to produce more plays for us. No question. Going into the draft, one of the big question marks on this defense was the edge spots because we lose Autry to the Titans. Justin Houston at the time didn't look like he'll return. So and that was already a need 
going into the offseason. That was a need, I thought, last year. And you get two premier players with the first two picks in Pay and Dio. What stood out to you about Quiddy Pay watching his tape at Michigan? Yeah, so Quiddy Pay, he's, a, he's, a, he's first of all, a tremendous athlete. In high school, you know, he, you know, he played – he played running back and you can see that, you know, when he goes through his drills, you know, I think he said that he had a hundred yards every single game. He told me that today. I don't know if that's true. I got to look that up, but <laughs> I believe him, but he is quick and, and, you know, he is athletic and, you know, we're excited to see where he is and, you know, in terms of, you know, when he starts doing the one-on-one pass rushes and, and you know, in training camp and then playing full time for us out there at the end spot. So um, can't say enough good things about him, you know, in terms of his motor, his his effort and I know that watching his tape at Michigan man he's he's got a mean streak to him too so we're we're certainly pleased with that so um it's going to be fun to watch here during training camp what about Dio he was great at Vanderbilt and he didn't have nearly the amount of surrounding talent that a guy like Quiddy Pay had at Michigan you play at Michigan you play in the big house you're usually surrounded with a lot of talent Dio really didn't have that luxury playing at Vanderbilt so what stood out to you about him and was a little bit different did you have to take certain things with a grain of salt because he was the primary focus where maybe Quiddy had other talent around him yeah I mean Dio's when the first thing you recognize about Dio is his length I mean he this is a long this is a long guy and the second thing you really realize once you get to know him is his intelligence this guy is this super intelligent uh, picks up things really fast um, can understand the whole concept, uh, not just the defensive end spot or D tackle spot. Um, that's that's what's really impressive about him. I mean, he is so smart. Um, and then just like I said, the length and the size, the pure size of him is is really going to be give us a, the ability to move him pretty much anywhere along the line. And as he said, you know, when he got drafted, he has played along the entire line, so he's able to play the nine technique, the six technique three technique, the zero technique, he can play all of them. So uh, that's what's a luxury for us to be able to move him around uh, and, and put him in position to be successful. Now that you've had both Pay and Dio in the building, all the rookies in the building, I know it's still super early. You haven't, you know, you haven't even gotten to training camp yet or seen these guys play preseason or regular season game, but just having them in the building from your pre-draft prep and watching these guys in college and watching all that to what you've seen so far through you know just a couple of practices OTAs and all that stuff what has really jumped out to you whether it be in the classroom or on the field with these two guys yeah you know I think just reiterate, reiterate what I said you know it's just like you know the ability for these guys to pick things up I mean it's really remarkable because you know we go through basically 10 installs we have during training camp so we got a chance to go through most of those and again we'll ramp some things up and put some more calls in there that we want to audition or try out or what we're looking at for the season, you know, during the course of the training camp, we always do that. But these guys are, have the ability to absorb that information fast and then take it to the walkthrough with really, you know, just a couple of mistakes with, with the whole volume that we have. So um, that's, what's really impressive about these guys, you know, and then the, the, the ability to take in the detail of pass rush of how we play the run, and the techniques involved that 
the D-line play, you know, through Coach Baker and Matt Race, they've done a really good job with those guys. And we've had some really quality time here uh, with the rookie mini camp that we had, and then also some time here now these last couple of days to be able to have one-on-one -on -one sessions with those guys out on the grass where the veterans are already gone. And that's been invaluable for us because we don't get a chance to do that a lot of times with these rookies to spend that quality time and have them ask questions and say, hey, what do you really mean by that, coach? What is that really doing for me? And 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 vice versa. We can really tell them the whys of why they're doing things. And now they understand it with the intelligence they have. That's just going to help them to perform even better on Sundays. When you look at this edge room, it's very young, right? Because we lose Autry, we lose Houston, and you have Pay, you have Ture, you have Lewis, you have Banigo, Muhammad. It's a very young room. I would say probably Muhammad is the most experienced guy at this point in that room. Are you worried at all about the experience in this room? I know we talk about trust. You talk about you know trust both in the player and the coaches and everything and all these guys earning their spot here, and there's no question they all deserve to be here. But are you worried a little bit about maybe the lack of experience in comparison also, not even to say that these guys are inexperienced, but when you have a guy last year in Justin Houston who's a 10-plus year vet, been to multiple Pro Bowls, playoff games, and things of that nature – do you worry at all about maybe the lack of experience with the edge rushers? You know, I feel really good where we are. I really do, Luke. It's, uh, you know, Taekwon Lewis is over there. I think he's, you know, I think he proved that he's, uh, you know, a very valuable player to us. And I think that he's did a nice job last year. And we expect, expect him to take the next step. And he's going to do that. You know, and then there's, then to me, there's, you know, ultimate competition. You know, you bring in two guys and then you have some other ends that were already here. Ben Banigou, uh, Ture, you know, we got Mohammed, we got all those guys there, which are all, they're all good quality players. And then you bring in the, the rookies, you know, so there's, now that creates competition. I think competition brings out the best in people. And, you know, that's, that's the ultimate of what you want in the NFL. And that's the way it's going to be in the NFL. You know, you bring new guys in every single year and you're always competing for your spot. And, they, and the guys know that it's part of being in professional sports, you know, so we're excited about that competition and really watching that during the course of training camp. We're talking to the Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, here on the For the Culture podcast. There's a couple more for you, Coach. Did it surprise – like, I don't want to say surprise, but we talked last year about the addition of DeForest Buckner. Everybody knew how good Buckner was watching him at San Francisco. He wrecked that Super Bowl against the Chiefs, even though they ultimately lost the game. He was not the reason why they lost the game. I think he had multiple sacks. Were you – maybe pleasantly surprised like did he exceed your expectations last year coming in playing at the level he played at yeah I would say he did he he, he exceeded it you know he because when you figure out what kind of guy he is then you, then you figure out the, the player and the stamina he has the ability to play you know week in and week out you know and practice that way too you know it's just really amazing that a guy that big can be that athletic and have that much stamina to be able to to play like that week in and week out so um, we were we were certainly surprised by that. Um, you know, I think pairing him with another guy like Darius Leonard, you have those two guys in the middle of your defense. I think that certainly helps you to uh, you know to have some good solid base of, of two guys right there in the middle of your defense that are going to be here for a while. So we're excited about having those two guys. What would you say Buckner's best asset is as a football player? Yeah, his best asset is his motor. You know, he's, you know, we have a, have a thing on defense that you're in the, you know, the all hustle team every single week mm -hmm. and he made it every single week. Uh, you know, he was in the 90, 90 club, which is 90% of your plays that you made it in 90% of your games. 
And, and that's, that's, that's hard to do because there only four players in the entire defense made that team. And he was one of them, you know, Kari Willis was the other one, Darius Leonard was the other one and then Grover Stewart. So those are the guys that, that have the motor that it takes and, and the mental discipline to be able to push yourself through when you're playing that many plays to make that 90, 90 club. And he was one of them. That's what's most impressive to me about, about, uh, you know, Buck. Wow, so both guys right there in the middle of the defensive line in Grove and Buck making the 90-90 club, four guys all together, which is very impressive. And, Coach, just a couple more before we let you go, a couple little miscellaneous things that I've been curious about from a coach's perspective. When the schedule is released, like as a fan, we circle the bye week where the primetime games are. How many primetime games do we have? Do we have a home primetime game where we play the Titans? This year we have Brady on the schedule. What jumps out to you as a coach when you first look at the schedule opposed to me as a fan and what I might be looking for when the schedule is released? Yeah, I just think what you generally do is you look at, you know, is there any kind of new scheme that you're going to be looking for that's a little bit different than a the traditional NFL scheme that you see? And then is there any extra work you need to do on that, you know, during the course of training camp? So you always try to think, think ahead and think forward um, in that regard relative to scheme. And then also coordinators, you know, coordinator, coordinators switch in this league and they change and you got to make sure that you have a fingerprint on that guy. So that's an important thing for us uh, to be able to look and evaluate that. And then any type of, of situations we have in terms of that, we, we will practice those things during the course of training camp, uh, either in walkthroughs or in, you know, in, you know, live settings, if we can do that. Uh, but we're certainly looking forward to that. Uh, looking our our minds are always forward looking to those types of things to, so we can practice them during training camp and speaking of the schedule when you get into the season the week-to-week grind what's that like from a coach's perspective what you're doing you know Monday to Saturday and with the bye week or with a Thursday night football how that changes for you and how you go about your day-to-day operations throughout the week from practice to game plans to film how you coordinate all that week to week and day to day throughout the regular season. Yeah. So when you look at the schedule, you know, you, you have to really plan for the, you know, when are your, when are your breaks for the players, you know, so, you know, you have a, a bye week way late, you know, it's week 14 or whatever it is. We have that Thursday night game, you know, you know, that, you know, I think that's that week nine or 10 or something like that. Then you have, you know, some, then you have, you know, that first part of the season there. So to me, it's like, you know, when you look at the schedule and you look at your week to week schedule, you're saying, Hey, what is going to be different when we have a Monday night game as opposed to a Sunday night game? And what's that look like the prior to that, you know, when you have that extra day and what, what are you going to do with that? Because every, every minute and every uh, hour matters in the NFL in terms of your preparation, because you only have so many minutes and so many hours in a day it's important that you plan that ahead to make sure you have that ready to go and anything we can get done prior to that, you know, start, you know, starting now, we're looking at doing that uh, as we get ready to go. What about that 17th game? Does that screw you guys up at all? Or does that change, you know, maybe the flow of the season or where you'll find rest for guys because you have to extend it another week without another buy being added? Yeah, so we're, you know, we're looking hard at that. You know, I know that, you know, Chris and Frank are looking hard at that to see exactly what that means for our players and, and they're going to continue to do that. And, and again, that's, it's one more game and, and it'll be status quo in terms of, you know, how we go about our business, but it certainly needs to be looked at for sure. 
Awesome. That's all I got for you, Coach. I appreciate your time, your openness, your honesty, coming on the For the Culture podcast, answering all the questions I got. I couldn't appreciate it more. Well, thanks a lot, Luke. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Coach. Take care. That was the Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, and you guys are listening to the For the Culture podcast.